0: church, how are you? My name is Ray. I'm one of the staff pastors here uh, at Bridges, and it is good to see you guys. Um, we got a lot to, to pack in in, in our, the re- remainder time of our worship. We, we have baptisms also. And so I'd love for you, if you can, uh, to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. That's where we're going to be looking at today. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in front of you, uh, in the pew back in front of you, and it's going to be on page 301. So, I'm gonna go in like breakneck speed if we can and bring you up to speed in, in uh, what we're talking about. We've been in this, in this series called Made New, looking at the areas of our life that is lacking or broken, and God taking those bad things and turning it for good and making His, those things new for His glory, for His sake. And this morning, we're looking at the story of Elijah. And if you guys have been in church for any amount of time, uh, you know the story of Elijah. Elijah is this incredible prophet of God that was used by him, that was called by him uh, to, to bring back people to God. You see, where Elijah did ministry was at a time where the people had fallen away from God. There was a horrible king named Ahab that had basically turned all the people from worshiping the true and living God to the, uh, to the God of Baal, one of these false gods. And on top of that, he marries a, a crazy woman named Jezebel that kind of just wears the pants in the family, so to speak, and makes them, uh, makes them do these crazy things, killing prophets, making them run to hiding, turning people uh, to worship someone uh, that they shouldn't have. And Elijah comes on the scene, bold, brazen. He comes out of nowhere, and he basically says, as long as the Lord lives, the God that I serve, there's neither going to be dew nor rain for the years to come. And so it was said, and the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, goes into drought. And this is where we find our story this morning. During this this drought season, God provided for Elijah, He provided for Elijah by by, uh, making his thirst quench, uh, quenching his thirst by providing a brook, giving him water to drink day and night. He even brought birds to come in and give him food day and night. And when the food ran out and the brook went dry, he provided a widow to take care of his physical needs. On one occasion, when the widow's son got sick and died, God used Elijah to do a crazy miracle and bring the widow's son back to life. And after three long years, God calls Elijah. And he says, come on out. I've been preparing you for this time, for such a time as this. And he he basically has a God contest. He calls Ahab, and they said, get your guys, your 450 prophets of Baal, other 400 uh, prophets of Asherah, this other God, bring them up to Mount Carmel, and we're just going to basically have a God showdown. You're going to build your altar, and I'm going to build my altar. Whoever is God answers by fire, that's the God. You can imagine the scene that is going on here, this crazy and most powerful thing, seeing the power and greatness of God come down. So the prophets of Baal go first. Nothing happens. They're they're crying out to their God all day and all night to the point where they're cutting themselves with their swords according to their customs. Elijah just starts mocking them and saying, hey, I don't think you're praying hard enough or loud enough. Why don't you pray a little harder? And nothing happens. And then he goes, guys, step aside. And with faith and confidence, Elijah prays this prayer and says, if you are God, you're gonna bring down fire and show that you are the true and living God. And fire rains down on Elijah's altar and burns it up, basically quenches the water that he had soaked in there four times over. And there's this crazy and awesome miracle that happened at Mark, Mount Carmel. So we have Elijah here, this awesome prophet that was uh, called by God. This is the same guy, too, that was taken up in a fiery chariot. He didn't even die. But on one occasion, we find Elijah full of despair, full of depression, full of fear, and just worrying about what's going to come next. Because Ahab's wife, Jezebel, threatens him for his life. And we're going to find out what happens in 1 Kings 19. So 1 Kings 19, we're going to read the first 18 verses, starting in verse 1, page 301. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left a servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came down a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Verse 9 continues. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu Shall Elijah put to death? Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. You know, I think all of us uh, have been afraid one time or another in our life. Um, we worry about different things. For some of us, we worry about the future, we worry about our jobs whether or not we'll have one tomorrow. We worry about our school, whether or not we're going to get into the right school. I worry about my family. Um, I think when I was single, I, I, I could care less. You know, I could sleep on a couch. Uh, but I worry about my wife. I worry about my daughter, how their health is, whether or not we're raising uh, her right, uh, whether my wife is, is happy. You see, when we worry, we have a lot of fear. And fear can paralyze us. That's what we learn from this story here in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was paralyzed with fear. Now, now fear, whenever we are fearful, uh, it, it's like uh, there's, only two things in, uh, there's only two things in the picture. It's me and the threat that is in front of me. For example, if I'm worried about uh, what, what I'm going to eat. I'm not thinking about sleeping. I'm thinking about what am I going to eat? Is it going to be In-N-Out? Is it going to be Chick-fil-A? Is it going to be McDonald's? And it's just me and, and the food. My, my stomach is growling. It, it's almost like when we're afraid, we have blinders on. And all we think about is the thing or the threat that is in front of me. Now, God is in the picture, but he's not. And that's one thing that, is, that we're going to uh, learn this morning about Elijah's story. Fear can paralyze us. We, we see a couple things that are going on in verses 1 to 3. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that he had done. Elijah, after this great mountain victory, he had ticked off a woman. I've learned you never want to tick off a woman. You tick off a woman, you know you're sleeping on the couch, you're doing things that you're like, how do I do this? How do I apologize? And Elijah, what had happened, he had messed with a crazy woman, Jezebel. She was the one wearing the pants in this relationship with Ahab. And she basically makes a threat. Because what had happened was Elijah killed off her court. These prophets that were sitting around her court that were her uh, communication to the gods that they served. And when she found out that these prophets were killed, Elijah had killed over 450 of these prophets after the fire came down from God on Mount Carmel. Jezebel was ticked off. said, I'm going to do something about it. And, and she says, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She sends a message through a messenger and says, I'm going to do the same thing to you, Elijah. You're going to die. And his reaction is sometimes our reaction whenever fear paralyzes us. He freaks out. He says he was afraid. He arose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to his servant. And he left his servant there he was afraid. All of us get scared whenever we have something that we cannot control. It says that he arose and he ran for his life to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba isn't like from Fremont to Newark. It's not like you can just make your journey. Beersheba was 100 miles away from where he was at Carmel. And here's the thing. It's been said that Every, every mountaintop experience that you're going to have is going to come a valley. Every success that you're going to have it's going to come stress. Every victory is going to come a time of failure. Have you ever been uh, hiking or up a mountain before? Um, one of the, the true things that I've gotten a privilege to do was to climb Half Dome, not with ropes and like the the crazy way, but I did the hike. And if you've ever been to Yosemite, a beautiful park, and done Half Dome, you know that it is no joke. You know that you have to be in shape, you know that you have to have the right equipment, and you know you gotta be healthy, physical. Now, you can't see it in here, in me now. I once was in shape, I once looked good, and I once was able to go up Half Dome. And I could not believe the joy that I felt going up at the very top. The last 200 meters, if you know, are cables, and you just go up these stairs. And the thing that you're uh, not worried about is, not yourself, you're worried about if someone is going to fall on top of you because there's so many people going up these uh, stairs. But our group of friends got up to the top, and we were elated. We got up at 5 o'clock that morning. We were going to make it all the way, and it was 1 o'clock when we uh, reached the summit. We got to the top, We took our our pictures that we needed to take, all our poses, and and that showed that we actually made it. And then the sinking feeling came in. How are we going to get down? We got to get down. And that's how it is. A lot of times when we have this huge victory, we see that the valley's coming. Whenever we have success, it's going to come stress. What are we going to do now? How am I going to get down? We eventually got down, but not before it was dark. It was almost 8.30 uh, until we got uh, got down there. You see, fear can do a lot of crazy things uh, to us. Fear can, can cause us to lose perspective. Elijah lost perspective of who he was. He was called by God. He was used as an instrument of God for his glory. See, it causes us to lose perspective. There's a second thing that fear causes us to do. It questions our worth. Here, Elijah was a prophet who God used. He came out of nowhere, and he caused and used all these miracles, these miraculous miracles, uh, so that people would turn back to the true and living God. But fear causes us to question our worth. God, maybe I'm not good enough. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. You don't want me. I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy that you called a, a couple chapters before. And so fear can cause us to do different things. Has fear ever paralyzed you? Do, you? do you come this morning with this heavy sense of fear, wondering about your future, wondering about your job, your family, your finances, even your relationships? or maybe it's even your health, or your family's health. Well, this morning, this isn't so much about this gloomy message about Elijah. I want us to look at these truths that, uh, from the story that we can be encouraged. What I love about this story is that, and the whole Bible in particular, God never leaves out the crazy stuff. God never leaves out the mistakes and failures of those he uses. In fact, he puts it into writing. Uh, You know, I think Elijah is probably thinking like, oh man, my story is in in God's word forever. But it's been encouraging us as we we look to God's word, what do we do when we are are fearful or when we're worried? And I want us to look at five truths this morning. And the first truth is this. Whenever we're fearful, we need, need to remember God's faithfulness. Whenever we're fearful, we need to remember God's faithfulness. In verse 4, we find out the reaction of Elijah. This was his reaction. Whenever we're we're fearful, we're gripped with what's going on. We even forget the power and greatness of who God is. It says this, Elijah asked that he might die. Elijah was so depressed to the point of wanting to die Now, this may have been physical exhaustion. It may have been emotional exhaustion. But there's no doubt about it. Elijah was depressed. And in a room of this size, I know a lot of us are going through different trials and circumstances where it forces us sometimes to the point of depression. Depression is a very real thing. It's it's not like I can give 10 million theological truths. Sometimes our, our, our minds are so blocked that we can't see what's in front of us. And that's when the body of Christ needs to come around and to say, we believe that God can heal depression. But at the same time, we also believe that the person who's struggling with mental illness needs to seek the right kind of treatment. And so we see here in the story, Elijah asked that he could just die. And he says a second thing, it's enough. You know, serving God is a joyful thing. But have you ever felt serving in ministry, whatever ministry that you're called to, whether it's behind the cameras, up in the sound booth, ushering, working in children's or student ministries, have you ever asked yourself or told yourself, it's enough, God, it's enough. I don't want to do this anymore. You see, many times our perspective in in serving God is we want to see fruit. We want to see after, after this message, maybe 50 people come to Christ, 500 baptisms. We want to see in children's ministry that they're going crazy over someone telling the story and truth of Jesus and responding. And so when that, that ha- doesn't happen, sometimes we question, it's like, God, that's enough. You know, I, I want to say that some of my, my favorite uh, rock stars and superheroes are those that serve in children's and student ministries. Because these people are, are stepping into a realm that is unfamiliar sometimes. Every week, they get the opportunity to hang out with these pint-sized uh, terrors, I mean joys, of, of, of children and students, and they get to minister. But a lot of times, we don't get to see the fruit, uh, myself included. You know, we, we're, we're more worried uh, about something breaking we're more worried about, oh, man, that person, that kid is not listening. I shouldn't have given them seven sodas before small groups. <laughs> and we, we question, we're just like, is anyone even listening to what we're talking about? And we, we question our worth. We question, it's like, God, it's enough. I, I've i been there. Um, I've been doing ministry for a season, especially with youth. And I have this folder on my bottom left drawer, and it, it's just I've titled it, for, for the Times That I Feel Like Quitting. I, I've been, to, been there during times where um, I, I truly question, is it, is it worth it? Am, uh, am I, what I'm doing is what called, God called me to do even worth it. But then I look at this folder, and God reminds me of his faithfulness. He shows me through kids writing on Kleenex napkins, Cards, parents sending emails, um, leaders just encouraging me that it is worth it, that God has called each and every one of us to a very special place of ministry, and that He is not done with us. So he says, he, he asked that, Elijah asked that he might die, that it is enough, and he says, now take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He compares himself with the people before him, and he has this distorted view of himself. I'm not worthy, God. I don't think I'm good enough. But the reality is, none of us are good enough to serve God. Uh, We're broken. Uh, We have uh, gifts that we're lacking. We have skills that we're lacking. But the beauty is, God uses those in spite of it. And he says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use you so that my glory may be known. So when we're, we're feeling worried or fearful, we need to remember God's faithfulness. And Elijah needed to remember God's faithfulness because God protected Elijah in the woods. God protected him and gave him strength and food and water and the miracle on Mount Carmel. But Elijah just had forgotten. But there's a second thing. We need to, need to remember that God meets us where we are. In verses 5 and 8, we find Elijah had run away and he's in the desert in the wilderness now. And he says he lays down under a broom tree. Uh, I picture this actual broom, but I, I think it's a juniper tree that he, he hides under. Have you, have you ever been there where God just meets you where you're at? He doesn't question you. He doesn't say, Ray, you've messed up. I'm keeping notes now. You did it again. God doesn't work like that. He meets us where we're at, and it's a beautiful picture of who he is, that he works with grace, that he works with love, he works with patience. And God meets Elijah during this time. He gives him the rest that he needs, both physically and emotionally, and feeds him not once, but twice. God met me in a very difficult time in my life. Uh, A few years back, I was finishing up ministry in Texas, and it was a beautiful time in ministry, but I knew that God was calling me somewhere else. I I had no idea where. I thought maybe it was Mexico, and so I hopped on a plane to Mexico, and I remember meeting with different ministry partners, talking with them in broken Spanish and then more in English. Is there a place for me here? But after coming back from Mexico, God didn't give me a sign. But then I I hopped on a plane and went to Ecuador. And I had no idea why, but I went to Ecuador, and I had met some other friends and met some incredible people who were doing ministry in Ecuador. But I returned from Ecuador feeling lonely and discouraged, saying, I don't think this is for me. And then I hopped on a plane halfway around the world, to a place that I, I barely could remember how to find on a map, Uganda. And God met me where I was at. You see, he didn't keep track and say, Ray, you've messed up. You can't do ministry again. He was faithful, and he met me during my time of loneliness. He met me during my time of just questioning and whether or not I should serve him again. Perhaps you're here this morning wondering the same thing. I'm tired, God. I don't know if I can serve you. But God reminds us through Elijah's story that not only that we should be, uh, remember his faithfulness, that he meets us exactly where we're at. And as soon as Elijah was rested, God called Elijah over to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, which was a 40-day journey. Not only do we need to remember God's faithfulness, that he meets us where we're at, But the truth is, God is always pursuing us for his glory. In verses 9 to 14, God asked Elijah a very specific question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in a cave? Why are you hiding? And Elijah's response was a response that I sometimes do. He goes into this uh, self-pity mode, It's like, God, there's no one else around. I've, I've been proclaiming your name. The prophets have been killed, and I'm the only one left. And he almost does this woe is me kind of pity party. I, I do that sometimes when I don't get my way. I just go into this pity party. But God, God is always pursuing us with his glory. He doesn't keep track and saying, Elijah, you failed. I'm not going to use you ever again. He says, what are you doing here? Come out of the cave. And I love how God responds and speaks to Elijah here. And he says this, starting in verse 11. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains. And he broke in pieces before the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And an earthquake came by. And it wasn't in the earthquake. And this huge fire came down later on. But it wasn't in the fire. And suddenly, but Elijah just had to listen to it, God responds to him in a gentle whisper. You see, many times in our lives, we forget that God is always pursuing us for his glory. He says, I want you. I want you to do uh, my work and serve me. Not because I need you, because I want you to be part of God's greater plan, my greater plan. But sometimes we're looking for the great thing, the fire coming down, the earthquake, the wind. But have we ever stopped and just listened to God? And maybe that's what God wanted to tell Elijah uh, in this time. Come out of the cave and just listen to me. I'm still pursuing you. But we, we wallow in our self-pity and we wonder, can God still use me? And I want to say this morning, God still uses us. So not only is God pursuing us for his glory, God is always fulfilling his plan. In verses 15 to 17, we find that Elijah is not done. God was was always going to use Elijah to finish his work. But it may not have been his greater plan. Elijah may not have been the one to see uh, Israel restored back to a nation or them worshiping the true God. But every single time that Elijah wallowed in self-pity and said, I am alone, I am alone, God was working behind the scenes. And he said this. He gave Elijah three things to do. He said, I want you to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. I want you to anoint Jehu to be king over Israel and replace Ahab. And I want you to anoint your successor, Elisha. Now, here's the great thing. Whenever we're fearful, whenever we think that we're not good enough, whenever we feel like we're all alone, we need to remember that God is always fulfilling his plan. He's always doing stuff behind the scenes that we may not know of because we have these blinders on sometimes. We're just thinking what's in front of us. But God is saying, take off your blinders. See the bigger picture of what I'm doing. And you still have a role to play. And finally, God always keeps his promises. You see, Elijah was never alone. He was never alone because there was a hundred prophets that were hidden away by uh, Obadiah. But in verse 18, he says, my justice is gonna be taken care of. I got 7,000 other people who have not bowed down to Baal and they're ready at a moment's command to do my work. You see, God always keeps his promises. Whether we think it's the promise that we want, but it's God's grander promise. I had said earlier that God uh, God has met me where I've been in moments of uncertainty, but even in moments of tragedy. You see, years ago, I lost my father to cancer. And I prayed this prayer that God would heal him. And God did. You see, cancer may have taken his physical life, but God gave my dad eternal life. And that was something to celebrate. God kept his promise. He said, I'm going to bring you together as a family. You're going to come to me and seek me during your time of fear, of loneliness, of sorrow. And I'm going to receive the glory. God is always pursuing us. You see, these truths, we, we may look at it and, and say, how do I do that? How do I do this when I'm, I'm scared? Well, for us as a family, as we were going through this immense trial of watching my father die, we drew near to God. We prayed to God. We, we, we took our focus slowly away from what was in front of us to try to see the bigger picture. And I believe that whenever we are having moments of fear, we need to pray to God. Maybe you came in this morning and you're like Elijah. You're just, you're just tired. You're emotionally spent and you're just wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. May I encourage you, would you pray to God? These songs that we sung this morning, these, this act of worship, doesn't just... Uh, it's not just here on the stage and it's not just here in, in the pew, but it's an act of worship that when, when we're fearful, when we're joyous, we rejoice and worship God. And that's one way that we can respond when we're fearful because it takes my eyes and it takes our eyes off the threat and it points our eyes and our direction to God. There's a second thing that we can do. I think the second thing that we can do is that whenever we are struggling with fear or uncertainty, there's the body of Christ. I look around here and I see hundreds of people that are waiting to be an encouragement. But I also see many people that are just struggling, that you're just wondering, it's like, I I can't talk to anyone. No one understands me. No one gets the thing that I'm going through right now. But God says this, not only should you come to me during your time of need, I've given you the whole body, the church, to be an encouragement. So confide in other believers whenever you're going through a time of difficulty. But finally, there's this third thing. I think there are many of you this morning that are quite the opposite. You come in this morning and you're just happy. You're rejoicing. I want to talk with you guys afterwards because you guys don't need coffee in the morning to get you guys ready. You're ready to go and be an encouragement. And so I want to encourage those that are like that. Be an encouragement. You know the people that are, are struggling. Um, you don't have to push and prod them to, to get them to share, but you know what they're going through. And you can be a source of encouragement, pointing them to God, pointing them and saying, hey, you're not seeing the bigger picture. Just like Elijah didn't see the bigger picture of what was going on. You can point them and say, God always keeps his promises and God is always fulfilling his plan. Elijah's story of worry and fear is a lesson for us. Whenever we're going through a troubled time, we can point to God and we can worship him. Would you bow down and, and, and worship and pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for this morning. We look at the story of Elijah and we look at ourselves. We look at our, um, his, his past failures and mistakes and we think that we're like that. We have this false sense of who we truly are. But God, I, I'm so thankful that you remind us that that's not who you are. That's not who. We You created us in your image. You created us to be like your son, Jesus. You created us to have value and worth. And you created us with significance. And so, Father, I pray that this morning that we can be reminded of these truths from Elijah, that we can be encouraged that even though we're going through this storm right now, you are in the midst of it. And you're you're giving us that gentle whisper to listen, So Father, we thank you for this time of worship. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church sermon podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.